This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. Welcome to Retail Retold, everyone. Today, I'm joined by Sean Saraga. Sean is the Vice President of Business Development for Barberito, a Canadian Mexican eatery. He's been in the franchise development business for 17 years. I'm excited for him to share his story. Welcome to the show, Sean. Thanks, Chris. Am I really the first Canadian brand you've had on the show? First Canadian brand. Wow, that's a big deal. Yeah. Sean, why don't you tell us a little bit more about who you are, your history, and who Barberito is and what Barberito does? Sure. So I, I've been uh, in the franchise industry and real estate industry now um, for about 17 years, 17 to 18 years. Uh, started out uh, doing franchise consulting work. And uh, early on in my career, uh, we had a challenge where the franchisee wasn't able to find a location. Uh, so I went to the president of the company that I was consulting for at the time and said, uh, I'll find the location. And he said, don't you need a license for that? And I said, you know, the day the deal's done, I'll have my license. Don't worry. Um, I went out and I hustled and I got my license and uh, found the location and negotiated the lease and put two and two together and uh, got a good commission from the franchisor. And then the landlord sent me a good commission as well. And I looked around, uh, shook my head that nobody else was doing this and uh, started combining franchising and real estate services under one roof. Uh, ran my own consulting company. Uh, for about 16 years, um, and uh, it was a national consulting company, did a lot of international deals as well. Uh, at the same time, uh, took a stint as, uh, as um, acting uh, in, in the retail department for Cushman and Wakefield for Canada, uh, and also was uh, senior vice president for launching SRS in Canada, uh, and brought those brands into the country, um, and really helped grow them. and. Uh, you know, during that time, I've worked with a number of franchises over the years and have conducted over 700 franchise and real estate transactions, uh, mo- the majority of them being in Canada, with a number of them now in the U.S. and with even more growth happening in the U.S. through the my latest iteration with Barberito Restaurant. So about uh, two years ago, I started working with the founder and president of Barberito Restaurants, Alex Stein on consulting for him on a few franchise agreements and some real estate sites, specifically in the Ottawa area. And we had some good success and seemed to enjoy working with each other. And I take an annual look at my business every year, looking at the numbers and uh, was uh, getting a little frustrated with my lack of growth as I was always the asset for my business and uh, scaling it wasn't really taking uh, no matter which way I would try and came to the conclusion uh, back in December of last year that uh, maybe it was time to take a role as an employee with, uh, within a larger organization and uh, went to Alex first, actually, uh, with the opportunity. Uh, unfortunately, the time didn't work out well for us because, as you know, the COVID pandemic hit in March and everything got shut down. Uh, around that time, I went back to Alex, uh, I think it was around May, and I asked him, you know, let me do all of your franchising for you uh, on a commission-only basis, and uh, we'll figure out what, what works. And if you like what I do, then we can talk about me coming on board full-time. 
and he agreed to it. And on June 24th, I became an employee for the first time in my career, uh, working with Alex at Barberito Restaurants. And we've been having a pretty solid run. I'll tell you what, what impressed me most was when Alex told me what he had been doing for his franchisees uh, during COVID. And that really set things apart. He'd always had a lot of integrity as a business person and put his franchisees first and made sure that they were profitable, uh, which is unique. Uh, unfortunately, it's unique uh, amongst the majority of franchisors out there. Uh, a lot of franchisors want their franchisees just to make enough money that they don't sue them at the end of the day. Uh, wherein Alex's goal was really to make his franchisees enough money that each of them could buy five to 10 stores. And that model has really worked very well for him. Wow. That's a lot to unpack right there. That's an amazing story. Thanks. Let's start, before I unpack it, let's start with, tell us more now about Barbarito. What is Barbarito? Sure. So Barbarito is a, uh, it's a Mexican food franchise. Uh, it is licensed here in Canada. We know that licensing isn't as easy to obtain in the States, and we're doing that on a state-by-state -state basis, county-by-county, county, depending on the rules down there. Um, but we are, uh, up here, we are licensed to serve bottled beer. Uh, we're about 1,000 to 1,300 square feet of space. And uh, the franchise was started by Alex in 2006. In 2009, Alex started to franchise the business. And from 2009 until today, we've opened up 132 restaurants uh, in North America. We have another 15 under construction right now. And we have over 80 franchisees getting ready to open more stores. So our growth has been explosive. Wow. So let's, let's unpack that real quick. 132 stores today, 15 under construction. That's 40, that's 147, 80 franchisees in the pipeline ready to do business. And that makes us the largest franchise in Mexican food in, uh, in Canada today. Good for you guys. We have been the most successful with giving Chipotle the, the best run for their money. Um, there was a, a larger chain up here, Mucho Burrito. Uh, that we have now uh, that we're now eclipsing and starting to overcome their numbers, um, and I believe that's because of the profitability of the model that we built there that Alex has built uh, and the success that we've seen with it. Kudos to you all. A little bit about Alex during uh, COVID. Also, you know, when the, when the pandemic hit up here in Canada, uh, we uh, the entire country went into lockdown uh, without exception. And immediately, Alex did the one thing that no other franchisor in North America did, and that was waive 100% of royalties to all stores. Uh, everybody else either deferred or reduced. Alex waived 100% of royalties, and not for a short period of time. For traditional stores, it was for nine weeks, and for non-traditional food court locations, 22 weeks, giving up about a million dollars in revenue. In addition to that, he set aside a quarter million dollars of his own cash as a relief fund to help support our most vulnerable stores. And then we got on the phone with landlords across the country directly because we have the head lease in every situation. We renegotiated the rents, deferred the rents where possible, got whatever subsidies were applicable and supported our franchisees and were successful in 99% of the cases. Congratulations. We got on the phone with corporations across the country and got them to sponsor burritos and bowls that were being sent out to frontline healthcare workers um, and uh, hospital staff. And we sent out over $70,000 worth of food during April and May of last year. And then lastly, we got on the phone with Uber Eats and Skip and uh, DoorDash and all the delivery apps. We reduced the rates and boosted the marketing. 
And as a result, through April, May, and June, the sales were flat. We saw no decrease at all. In fact, for the summer and fall, our sales were up 10 to 15%. So now our top grossing store does $2 million a year. Our lowest performers are at zero because we still have some stores closed due to COVID. And average store sales are between $600,000 to $650,000 a year. In a thousand feet, that's pretty strong. Yeah. Unbelievable story. And stay tuned because one of the reasons we connected is you guys are now making a push into the United States to open stores in the U.S. and excited to learn more about that. And I think the audience will be as well. But first, I want to get to know Sean a little bit more and go to our segment called Clear the Air. So I've got three questions for you. Are you ready, Sean? What is one thing most people agree with, but you do not? Uh, that everything happens for a reason. Huh. Okay. Yeah, I don't think that's true at all. And, and, and why? That's a great one. Yeah. Uh, just life's too random, man. Like we all, we all influence our worlds. And uh, I don't think everything happens for a reason. I think things happen because people set things in motion to happen. I really, really like that answer. Okay. Question two, what skill do you not possess, but you wish you did? Multilingualism. I wish I could speak other languages fluently. I'd actually like to take that up this summer is maybe start learning some new languages, especially as we expand into the U.S. I think learning Spanish is going to be an important part of our growth. And being up in Canada, knowing French is important too. And it's just the one skill I never picked up. Same. It's one that's been on my bucket list for a while. Never seemed to dedicate the time or commit to it. Last question. When's the last time you tried something for the first time, Sean? Every time I visit a restaurant, I always order the one thing on the menu I've never tried before. Oh, I love that. That's great. So my, my children, we try to make sure that we're, kind, we're exposing them to all different types of food. So I love that. They do get mac and cheese more than I would like to give them. However, uh, we try to expose them to different types of food all the time. My kids have become a fan of sushi and they have, they're not picky eaters, which is great, but I love that answer. I do the same thing with my daughters. When they were younger, I bribe them. I tell them you get $2 for every time you try a new food. Wound up costing me about $400 before I cut it off. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, thank you for uh, sharing a little bit more about you and who you are. That was great. Let's go back to a bunch of things that you talked about in the beginning. One, you are now an employee. How has that transition been from owning your own business, 1099, to now being an employee? Tell us about that transition. I got to say, it, uh, it definitely was challenging at, uh, at the beginning. Uh, I'm replacing the job that the president of the company has always done. Um, and, and he's probably the, he is by far the smartest person or the smartest business person I think I've ever worked for. And I've worked for hundreds uh, as a consultant. Uh, the man is laser focused on every aspect of his business and knows every angle of what goes on at every given time. Uh, taking over his job from him uh, was definitely challenging. It was, uh, th there was a transition period that we're still going through to some extent, but I think we're now in a really good place where, where we respect each other and understand what each other brings to the table and know how to use each other to get to the results that we're trying to achieve. 
it's also been extremely challenging because, you know, up here in Canada, uh, we're very much encouraged not to go to the office. And, you know, given that my job can be done uh, to a certain extent remotely, uh, I'm only in the office one Friday on every every Friday afternoon for a two hour meeting with the president. Uh, and other than that, I'm sitting at home in uh, working remotely, which and, and I'm averaging about 15 to 16 Zoom meetings a day between landlords and uh, and franchisees. Um, and I got to say, my eyes got bug out of my head sometimes. Uh, it drives me a little crazy. I understand. You know, I will say I, I can't wait for the office to reopen. And to get back in there, I feel like I've really missed out on a lot of the culture that you can build by being around people. And uh, I think that while we're we're going really strong now, I can't imagine how much stronger we'll be when we're actually in person with each other. It's a great point. There's a lot of headline news surrounding this remote work forever. And I think people are underestimating the value of the human connection. There is no doubt that there are significant amount of knowledge worker jobs that can be done from anywhere, always could be. I think the question comes, should they be? What is the power of the team and being in person and the culture of the organizations? And I think, I think, you know, in the beginning, there's going to be a lot of people who want to work remotely, but I think you are going to see that the best teams long-term spend time together. There's always going to be now, I think, some portion of remote work, but I think you will see that the best teams in the business world spend time together in some way, shape, or form in person. All right. I, I think that, you know, after all of this is done, and once those vaccines are in wide distribution, people are just dying to be with other people. Yeah. Whether that's being at the office or at a bar, as long as you're surrounded by other people, not in your four walls and uh, and around your kids 24 um, seven. You know, there, I think there's going to be a party in the streets by the time the summer or fall rolls around. We will see. Okay. What percentage, you have an interesting role. What percentage of your time do you think are you spending recruiting new franchisees versus working on the real estate side? Uh, so right now, you know, we have a great real estate team up here in Canada. We have a vice president of real estate up here, uh, that I work very closely with and, uh, you know, he does a tremendous job. We have a team of 16 brokers up here that we work with for the U S I'm handling all of that directly, uh, and managing that. And, uh, Alex is working with me and supporting that. Um, so I'd say right now, uh, about 25% is real estate and 75% is franchising. Um, but that 25% of real estate really, you know, looking at the sites that need to be approved and vetting them and making some really strong influence decisions. We won't compromise on locations. For us, location is everything. It's the most important thing. Uh, we, we will never compromise on location. We'd rather wait uh, for the right location to open up and make a bad decision. Sure. Understood. I'm in real estate, so I get that for sure. Uh, we talk about it a lot on this show, so I understand um, the need for great locations. And for us, we're looking for a thousand to thirteen hundred square feet of space. We're looking for grocery anchored shopping centers, uh, Walmart, Target and Costco style power centers. Uh, we're looking for lots of parking, lots of visibility, lots of street traffic. We do extremely well in small towns. 
Um, anything, you know, populations of 15 to 50,000 uh, do really well for us because we become the dominant player in town, the only player in town in a lot of cases. Uh, and it really end runs and blocks competition from coming into the market. Uh, we opened a store up recently in um, Nanaimo, BC, and uh, that store is doing rocking it at $2 million a year with a population of 60,000. Incredible. So let, let's talk about the elephant in the room. I think what a lot of people are wondering, you have 132 locations, primarily in Canada. You're making a push to the U.S., which some would say Chipotle, Moe's, Qdoba, and then a bunch of regional brands. This segment has a lot of competition. Why do you think you guys can be successful in the United States? And there's been a lot of, and I'm going to add to that. There has been a significant amount of Canadian brands that have tried to come to the U.S. and haven't done really well. You're 100% right about that. And, you know, I, I got to tell you, having been in the industry for as long as I've been, I've worked with a lot of those brands uh, and I've seen what they've done wrong. A lot of these brands, what they do when they enter the United States is they find these big players that own a thousand to 3000 restaurants. Uh, they ask them to pick them up as a flag or one of the banners and uh, they hope and they sign for, let's say 20 stores to open and coming from Canada, they think that's great news uh, and that's exciting and that's going to grow the brand. And they wind up being, you know, the, the ugly stepchild uh, and not really getting the love and attention that they deserve. Uh, the other model that's typically used by Canadians entering the States is they master off state by state. Um, and when you master off state by state, you're not really replicating what it takes for a brand to be successful. You know, what, what, made, what makes Barbarita work is the owner-operator model and having local owner-operators that can build the stores. Uh, in Canada right now, 40% of our franchisees are multi-unit owners. And in the States, all of our franchisees will be multi-unit owners because down there or in the States, we are going with three-store deals uh, at a time. So right now we are looking for space in Fresno. We're looking for space in uh, Rancho Cucamonga. Uh, we're looking for space in Chicago. Uh, we're in Florida. Uh, we're looking for more space in Michigan, where we already have our first franchisee there. In fact, our, our first franchisee in the States, uh, Sunny, the master franchisee for Michigan, uh, but we saw the ability to open more stores there. Uh, he came to us through a family member who was and continues to be a multi-unit franchisee of Barbarito in Saskatchewan. Uh, it took about five months to do the deal, uh, mostly due to legal reviews of franchise documents. And it took about two years to finalize the first location. We had several last minute misses on other locations. We thought we secured, but the deal fell apart in the last minute. Most recently, a location we were about to secure right before COVID in March, 2020 is the one that we did. And then we opened in August of 2020. So we opened right in you know, the, the thick of the pandemic. And we've been doing a solid $12,000 a week since opening there. So we're doing, we're averaging 600 to $650,000 a year there. Uh, we currently have Farmington Hills under negotiation, and we've got an offer on a site made in Canton in Michigan. And uh, we're growing very quickly using that model. You know, he has built a really successful beachhead for us in Michigan, which is allowing us to leverage more areas like Detroit, Chicago, and the surrounding suburbs of those areas. Um, and uh, that's why we're hitting those markets. And I think this is a key, the owner-operator model. I think one that comes to mind when I think of this in the United States is Chick-fil-A. You know, the fact that the 
owner of the location works in the location. And if you go to any Chick-fil-A in the United States today, the one that's most local to me, the the lines are insane. People are craving this. People love it. They love the brand. They love the food. They love the service. And I think a lot has to do with the owner-operator model in this. And it's a, it's a bit of the secret. The owner-operator model is what made McDonald's successful. It's yeah. what made Chick-fil-A successful. It's, it's no secret. The, the challenge is, you know, you get franchisors that want to grow so quickly and lose sight of what got them to where they were today. Uh, they, they forget their recipe for success. And they think that, you know, we can grow with, you know, doing a 500 store deal right out of the gate. Well, a 500 store deal that's going to wind up with 500 closed stores doesn't win anybody anything. The, the owner operator model, it works. It's the basic model for franchising. Yeah. And, and, to clear the air for some of the listeners who might not understand the difference, when we say owner-operator model, we're talking about the owner owns it and they actually operate the stores versus some company that buys 500, uh, makes a 500-store deal, and the owner is not really running the stores. It's this company behemoth that's behind it, correct? You nailed it right from head. That is, that is the absolute difference. You know, right now we have uh, we have franchisees that own nine stores uh, in our chain. You know, out of 132 stores, Alex's vision was never to have a thousand franchisees own a thousand stores. It was to have a couple hundred franchisees own five to ten stores each. Yeah, and that way that owner operator can actually get their hands on all the stores. Versus if that one franchisee had a thousand, they couldn't do that. Exactly. The challenge with that model is the first piece, which is a lot of these franchises, they want to grow quickly. And this is more of a grassroots effort because you need a lot of franchisees to to grow a small amount of stores instead of three franchisees take down 200 each. You know, what's amazing is um, if COVID has a mixed blessing, um, it's it's Zoom. And what Zoom has allowed for the growth of, you know, before COVID, I could handle maybe five, six meetings in a day. Um, now I'm able to have 14 to 16 meetings in a day, back to back every half an hour. Um, before COVID, I would have to fly down to Chicago to do a trade show um, to be able to get leads. Now I can run a webinar and advertise on Facebook and walk out with double the leads that I would have had going to the trade show in Chicago. So volume has changed dramatically. Hmm. That's interesting. It's just exponential growth right now. Um, you know, and if you know how to capitalize on it, and, you know, I've, I've developed some pretty good systems along with Alex's support that make a lot of sense and allow us to grow very quickly. So we're actually hitting up, you know, we're, we're hitting up two states every other week uh, and walking away with anywhere from 100 to 150 interested candidates that'll narrow down to maybe three or four deals that'll actually happen in those marketplaces. Like you said, explosive growth, even on a grassroots effort. Kudos to, to you all. What I'd like to do next is, can you explain to the audience the difference, what separates Barbarito from the other brands that I mentioned in the United States? Tell us a little bit more about Barbarito and the concept. So, you know, we, we focus on more than just the traditional Mexican eatery. Although burritos are, are, are in our name and they're our mainstay, burritos only make up about 40% of our sales. 
uh, bowls, bowls make up about another 40% of our sales. And the other 20% are made up of a mix of tacos, quesadillas, soft drinks and beer and French fries. Uh, we offer more proteins than any of our competitors and more healthy options than any of our competitors. Our food is made fresh daily. In fact, it's made fresh twice daily. Um, our food is, uh, we have the highest Yelp reviews in our category. Uh, we have, uh, we're perfectly priced in that $10 meal category with our average guest check coming in at $12.80. And, uh, you know, the, the customers that visit us are loyal to us. They follow us. And, you know, we're not, we're not a lot of flash. We're not a lot of, uh, a lot of, we're not a lot of hype. We're good value for good food. And it's, it's really tasty food. The food is second to none. It's delicious. And as far as the value goes, we offer great value for the dollar. We appeal very strong to the younger demographic, uh, to the millennials, 100%. We appeal to the blue collar workers. Uh, we appeal to families. And we're offering in that price category a great meal value uh, and, and a healthy meal option that a lot of people are looking for these days that they can't necessarily find in, uh, in the traditional fast food market. So it's good food made fast. Let's, let's talk about value for a second. What, what is the average check? Average check is $12.80. And to give everyone context, what's the average check of a Chipotle? Uh, I believe they're around $17. Okay, so you're you're definitely providing significant value there. Healthy options, many options, and a family affordable for a family, blue collar worker, middle class. Uh, very interesting. Yeah, and and we are you know the one brand that has really been able to give Chipotle a run for their money up here in Canada, and uh, the the previously well established chain that we're about to eclipse. Uh, we've given them a heck of a run too. Uh, in their case, though, I think it was a matter of uh, they did not have the same support from their franchisor as what we offered to our franchisees. You know, I think you're going to find over the next few years, the brands that really survived and thrived through COVID are the ones where franchisors stepped up and took good care of their franchisees through COVID, helped them and supported them, and didn't try to bleed them dry. Drop the mic moment. Totally agree. Well, that was really great. What else, if anything, do you want to leave the listeners with about Barbarito? Um, you know, send me sites. I'm looking for sites. I'm looking for uh, sites across the country. Nothing sells a franchise quite like a great location. So if you've got a great location in a market, we are working with the National Broker Network for franchise recruitment. Um, we're in talks with a couple of uh, real estate firms down there, having my connections with SRS and Cushman and Wakefield. I've got some good relationships there, but uh, you know, I'm always looking for great sites. We aren't exclusive penny brokers. Uh, if you're a landlord rep, send me what you've got. If you're a tenant rep, send me what you've got. And let's, let's talk and see what we can do to make some deals happen because we fit into every market, every demographic. There isn't a place in the country, uh, in either of our countries, that people don't like Mexican food and aren't going to gravitate to our offering. There you go, everybody. Send Sean some sites. All right. Let's pivot to the next part. I want everyone to know a story about a location that opened up. So where are we going, Sean? So we're going to Michigan. Um, and, and I did talk a little bit about Sunny. Um, and uh, I think Michigan's relevant because that's where we're that, that's an, a good U.S. location, and that really is where your audience is going to be able to relate. 
So, you know, our location in Michigan has had a really strong opening. It was a great example of a referral coming into us um, from a franchisee in our system here in Canada. I, I got to tell you, a lot of our franchisees in Canada have relatives in the States and are looking to constantly refer us franchisees down there. So we're constantly growing. Our first location is open up in Howell, Michigan, um, and uh, which is uh, a nice suburb outside of Detroit. Now in the US, uh, our name is actually not Bar Burrito, it's actually Burrito Bar. Uh, we had to change the name because of copyright issues. Uh, so our US name is Burrito Bar, not Bar Burrito. We, we, I believe in certain states, we'll still be able to use Bar Burrito, but we might go with Burrito Bar for the whole country just for consistency. Uh, again, it took about five months uh, to finalize the franchise agreement with Sonny, but now that he's paved the way, it's a lot easier and faster to do it for more franchisees as they're coming on board. Uh, our uh, Fresno group is, uh, it took just a few weeks, uh, so things are moving much quicker now. Uh, here you do your first deal, everything happens a lot faster as you're doing your second and third. Uh, we will take our time though finding that location. And uh, Sonny's really happy with the sales at about $12,000 a week and is getting ready to open two more stores in the Detroit area now, Farmington Hills and Canton. Uh, and uh, I believe he wants to finish himself off at around seven stores in the greater Detroit area. So let's unpack this a little bit. You were introduced to Sonny, the franchisee for the Howe location, from a existing franchisee in the system question do you give referral fees uh yes we do pay referral fees to our existing franchisees and we pay referral fees to brokers so if a broker is listening and they have a space for lease and they've gotten calls from people saying you know i, I really like your space but i'm not sure what content to put in have them call me and we will happily pay you a referral fee we love to write those checks interesting so franchisee in canada refers sunny to you you meet with sunny Tell us about how that goes. You get what Sonny is. Tell us about Sonny's background. Is he a, it, does he own restaurants? What, what, what is Sonny's background? No, Sonny didn't have a, a ton of restaurant experience. He had some, uh, he worked in some restaurants before, but really he was coming to us based on the reference of our existing franchisee in Saskatchewan uh, and had a lot of faith in us because of what he saw happening and had a lot of faith in Alex and Alex's ability to support a franchise. You know, at, at the end of the day, I think great companies are built because they have great leaders, you know, whether it was Jack Welch, Howard Schultz, uh, you name it. Those leaders are what defines how many people put their trust and faith into the company and are willing to work for it. You know, that's one of the reasons why I stepped up here. That's why Sonny stepped up. And that's why franchisees keep joining the chain, because they see leadership that supports franchisees and are willing to make sure that they're going to be successful no matter what. That's so true. Spot on. You meet Sonny, you guys start talking. And how long does it take to get to a deal with Sonny, the franchise deal? It takes about five months to get to the deal because of legal reviews of franchise documents. And we were also preparing our documents for the US for the first time. So that in itself took us about a month and a half to two months up here to make sure our documents were prepared properly for the state of Michigan. And then, so it took us two months to prepare the documents and then about three months to finalize them with Sunny. So now that you've finalized the documents, you go on a hunt for a location. How did you decide on how? Did Sunny decide on how? Did you guys as a franchisor decide this might be an interesting market? How do you end up in how? 
So Alex did probably a dozen drives down to the Detroit area for wow. two years looking at sites. Um, you know, we, we had secured about four locations that we thought were right uh, that fell through for one reason or another before we settled on Howell. Um, and, and once we found Howell, it, it, was, it, was a, it was the right fit. It was the right site. It was the right size. It replicated a lot of our successful markets that we're in right now in Canada. Uh, the demographics were very much the same. The population was very similar. Um, you know, the makeup of people, the, the, the anchor of the location was similar. Um, the street traffic counts, all of that really added up uh, to replicate what works up here in Canada. And, you know, to be able to do $12,000 a week in sales out of uh, that location's 1,100 square feet, you know, that's a pretty solid return. And the way that we set up our economic model you know, Sonny's going to be able to buy at least two more stores just based on the success of his one. Wow. So you land on this location and tell us about the location. Is there, you said there's an anchor. What type of shopping center is it? So we're right next to a VC's grocery or VG's grocery. Uh, we've got a McDonald's down the street. You know, we've got uh, a lot going on we're right on West Grand River Road, which is the main street in town. Um, it keeps us, it, it, you know, we've got some hotels in the area. We've got a good mix of, um, of uh, commercial in the area also. The county jail is around the corner. The sheriff's office is there right on that corner. Uh, and we're surrounded by residential uh, to the uh, east of us, which allows us to really service that area. The area is divided by a river that runs through the, uh, runs through the street uh, that runs under Grand River, West Grand River Road. And that divides the uh, that, that puts us right on the intersection on the intersection of state and Maine, where we've got to one side nothing but commercial and industrial, and on the other side nothing but new residential and schools. Fantastic! Sounds like a home run. This opened in August of 2020, so in the midst of a global pandemic. Yeah. What was that like for you opening one of your first stores in the states? What was that like for Sunny? In the middle of a pandemic, you guys are saying, we're going to get through this. Let's open the doors. So, so by August, we had a clear line of sight that our sales hadn't gone down, but were actually going up. So we had confidence in our performance up here in Canada. We weren't sure what to expect in the States. Uh, I'll tell you that the, the hardest part was actually getting our training team over the border because the border was closed in August. We had to get uh, we had to get a number of letters and permissions to allow for two of our trainers and uh, our head our VP of real our VP of construction to head down and supervise the finishing off of construction and make sure everything was done and they had to quarantine when they went both ways so we lost thirty days uh, on each one of those people that had to cross the border and at the time we were very nervous about the numbers and uh, you know we get CNN up here and. Uh, Fox News, and uh, you know, we get some crazy reports that are you know blowing things a little out of proportion. I think sometimes uh, to what you, to what the experience is. So the staff were nervous to head down, but they did head down. They opened the store. They did it really successfully. Uh, it was challenging, and I would say that you know, without takeout and delivery, uh, it would have it wouldn't have been nearly as strong of an opening. Takeout and delivery has really been a savior for us during the pandemic. Uh, of our $12,000 a week in sales, takeout and delivery is currently making up about $5,000 a week of that. So almost 50% is takeout and delivery. Yeah. 
the good news is people are still coming in and sitting down and eating their burrito bowls. Yeah. Great to hear. Excellent story. Thank you for sharing. I want to take us to the last part of the show called Retail Wisdom. I've got three questions for you. You ready, Sean? I'm ready. All right. Question one. What extinct retailer do you wish would come back from the dead? Um, the only one that I can think of that would be relevant to you guys would be Blockbuster. Oh, man. You know, there's a new Netflix show, the last, you know, about the last Blockbuster and the whole story of Blockbuster. I'm a big Kevin Smith fan, but I haven't watched that yet. You got to check it out. Is it good? It, it's really well done. Yeah. I, I do miss Saturday nights at Blockbuster, man. That was fun. That was fun. Okay. Question two. Yeah. What's the last thing you bought over $20 in a store? Uh, I just moved houses. So I just bought two new couches and a new dining room set at uh, Ashley's. Know them well. A DLC tenant. Yeah. Okay. Last question. And we, we, we went over this one specifically because I, I had a question about it. So if you and I were shopping at Costco, most people know I normally say Target, but if you and I were sh- shopping at Costco and I lost you, what aisle would I find you in? Probably the produce aisle because I love to cook. <laughs> if I'm coming over for dinner, what are you cooking? I'm making you a delicious steak, man. Or my uh, famous sesame crusted uh, uh, ahi tuna. All right. Yeah. I might hold you to that next time I'm in Toronto. I'm in Toronto. You can buy, man. I'll make you some good barbecue. All right. Well, listen, Sean, this was great. Thank you so much. I'm excited for this. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us at retailretold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.